the screens. And uh, this is the scripture for today. I'm going to read it out loud. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who I will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all of the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Together, let's pray together. God, we believe you speak. And uh, not because I have words, but because the Holy Spirit is with us. And so as we open the Bible, may we not just read Bible stories and may we not just read it as a history book. May these words come alive and through the Spirit of God, you use them to convict, stir, and change us. That's our prayer. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Again, welcome to Bayou City Fellowship. Um, If you are a guest with us, we are thrilled that you're here. So thank you for joining us. Hey, today we start a new series in the Gospel of Mark, and so uh, we're going to do a couple things today. I'm going to set up this series. I'm going to introduce you to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Second thing I'm going to do is we're going to spend about five of these eight verses from chapter one on John the Baptist. And so uh, if you've read the Bible at all, you've heard different accounts and stories of John the Baptist. And so we're going to look at what Mark chapter one says about John the Baptist. So two things, intro the series and look at John the Baptist. If you have a Bible, Mark chapter one is where we will be. I do want to say, and I want to say it more often, If you don't have a Bible, or honestly, if you just want a new Bible, maybe you got an old one or or, or whatever, we always have copies in the lobby, and when we run low, we order more. Uh, Literally on this campus, uh, there ought to be close to 100 copies of the Scriptures, so that if you're ever in need of one, or you want to grab one and give it to a neighbor or a friend, that is always available to you at no cost. And so when you leave this place, uh, that... There's a sign that says connect. There's a table there. You can just literally walk by and just swipe one, all right? Uh, It's our gift to you, whether it be for you or for a friend. Uh, We want you to have a copy of the scriptures, and if you want to give one out, we'd invite you to do so. So Mark chapter 1, that's where I'd invite you to turn. So for the next three or four months, we are going to be in a series on the gospel of Mark. So if you have anything against Mark, you may not want to come around, all right? We're going to be here for a little while. We're going to take a break uh, in December through Advent. Advent uh, simply is just the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas. And so we're going to take a break in Advent, and we are collectively going to lead ourselves to the birth and the celebration of Jesus. And then we'll pick back up in the Gospel of Mark after the new year. And so we're going to be here a while. Uh, Here's some things I want you to know about the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest gospel, 16 chapters. It's almost half the length of some of the other gospels. There are several reasons for that. The main reason, though, is that Mark just doesn't waste a lot of words. Not that there are wasted words in the other gospels, but Mark is to the point. He's concise. He seems to be in a hurry. 
Uh, if you email me this week and I reply to you, most likely you will say, are you in a hurry? Because I, I have a lot of email and I try to get through it. And somebody said to me recently, like, you tend to write like uh, you don't ever, you know, it's kind of shorthand. And I'm like, I, I'm in a hurry. God, the Gospel of Mark is written in that way. He seems to be in a hurry. There is a sense of urgency about the way Mark writes this gospel. Uh, It is uh, also believed to be the earliest written gospel. And the reason that's important is because several of the other gospel writers, uh, Matthew uh, specifically and Luke, were believed to have referenced his gospel. And so that's that's why when you're in Matthew, some of these passages sound familiar. Not always, but references and things that you think, have I heard this before in, in Mark? And it's believed that those two gospel writers referenced uh, Mark's gospel because it was written first, okay? So it's the shortest. It's believed to be the, the first gospel written. And Mark does not be, begin with a genealogy, much like uh, Matthew does. And so there's not a whole chapter devoted to the back history. What Mark does is, and, and in light of what I just told you, he says, this is why I'm writing, let's go. And we jump straight to Jesus' ministry. And so within the first eight verses, John the Baptist is preparing. And in verse 9, you're going to hear this next week, Jesus shows up and wants to be baptized. So Mark doesn't have this long runway of Jesus' birth and his young life and, and leading up to his ministry. No, Mark just begins Boom, here we go. Jesus is on the scene and his ministry begins. All right, so it's quick. It's to the point. It was written first. Mark is more blunt. He's more direct. And here's what I want you to write down. I think in this gospel uh, uh, series, in the gospel of Mark, we're going to see him do a couple things that seem to come up over and over. Number one, he, he enlightens us to the humanity of Jesus. So he shows us the humanity of Jesus. I know you know this, but don't forget that Jesus is part man, and yet he is fully God. Really, fully man, fully God, but he is not a sinful man. He lived a perfect life. And so this profound mystery of man, yet God, Mark gives us some more insight to what it looked like for Jesus to be a man. So what do I mean by that? Well, we see some of the emotional side, some of the empathy some of the sorrow that he might have felt when, when losing a friend. and We see this emotional side to Jesus that maybe doesn't show up quite as much as in the other Gospels. All right? So number one, I think you're going to see uh, the humanity of Jesus. Number two, you are going to see Mark focus on the actions of Jesus. So Mark doesn't spend a ton of time uh, quoting Jesus or, hey, here's what Jesus taught. No, actually, Mark spends a ton of time on, hey, this is what Jesus did. Jesus did some amazing things. I'm going to tell you about them. And so uh, as opposed to some of the other Gospels where you might have the teachings of Jesus, you, you're, you're quoting, hey, Jesus said, there is a little bit of that, but Mark focuses a lot on the actions of Jesus. This is what he did. And so those two things, I think, are themes of the Gospel of Mark. So who wrote this book? Who is Mark? Well, actually, we call him John Mark. And it's a lot easier to say Mark because we already have a John on the scene, all right? So if it's Matthew, Mark, uh, or Matthew, John, Luke, and John, that's confusing to us. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but his name was John Mark. And when they had two names like this, uh, the first name would have been the Hebrew name, and the second name uh, would have been a Roman name, all right? So uh, John was his Hebrew name, Mark was his Roman name, but we are going to refer to him as Mark as the scriptures do. But this was John Mark. 
Uh, he is the cousin of Barnabas. All right, so who's Barnabas? So if you're new to the scriptures, uh, Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, uh, he had a partner, a cohort, a, a ministry, a friend in the ministry, and that was Barnabas. And they did ministry together. They lived life together. They traveled together and they served together. And so who is Mark? Well, Mark is that guy's cousin, all right? So Barnabas' cousin is a gospel writer. And the, how do we know that? Well, Colossians 4 tells us that. I'm not assuming that. We see that from Colossians chapter 4. We know that from Acts chapter 12, and again, I don't want you to turn to all these. I'm just giving you some, some background here. Acts chapter 12 tells us that the early church, right, there's just maybe a couple dozen, maybe a little bit more. They're gathering. They're forming this church. They're figuring out what does this thing mean to be a church. We know uh, from Acts uh, chapter 12, that they, they gathered in the home of Mark's mother. So potentially the house that he grew up in. Uh, she made that home, Mark's mother made that home available to the early church to gather and to pray and to begin to form a church. That's pretty cool. They were believed to be wealthy, so they probably would have had a, a large space where dozens of people would be able to gather and pray. And so we know that from Acts chapter 12. Also, Acts chapter 15 tells us that... Uh, Paul and Barnabas, again, these are partners in ministry. almost said partners in crime, but no, they're, 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 they're partners in ministry. And they have a dispute, okay? And so Barnabas says, hey, I want to bring my cousin with me. And Paul says, well, the last time we were with your cousin, he bailed on us. And I don't fully trust him. And Barnabas says, well, I, I, I'm bringing him. And Paul says, if you bring him, I'm not going. And so what we actually see uh, in Acts chapter 15 is the parting of these two friends in ministry over a dispute related to Mark. His cousin trusted him. Paul's like, I'm not positive about this guy. I don't think he can stick it out with us. I'm not taking him. And so the, they came to a decision that, hey, you know what? I'm going to go this way, Paul. I'm going to go this way, Barnabas, with Mark, John Mark. And we're going to split ways right here. This is a big deal. These are two huge figures in the New Testament that Mark caused a riff uh, with. And we see that in Acts chapter 15. Colossians 4, again, tells us, though, that at some point, Paul changed his mind and said, you know, Mark's not so bad. And I trust him now. Uh, so they, 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 you know, they aired out their grievances and they came to a decision that, you know what, I can trust this guy. How do we know that? Uh, because in Colossians 4, uh, Paul says to the church in uh, Colossae, hey, I'm going to send you this brother, and I trust him, and you need to greet him as if I was coming. So if Curtis Jones said to one of you, I want you to go to Brenham, and I want you to preach to them. People in Brenham need Jesus, y'all. So I want you to go to Brenham. That's just a joke. I, I think they do, but I'm not nothing against Brenham. So if he's going to send you to Brenham, uh, he would say, I want you to greet this brother or this sister in Christ as if I was coming. I trust them, so I'm sending them. And that's what Paul does in Colossians 4. So we know that they reconciled uh, Paul and, uh, and Mark and ended up serving together. Uh, last couple things, and then we're going to get with it, all right? The uh, first Peter 5 tells us this, that uh, Mark was raised up under Peter. And how do we know that? He refers to Peter as my son. Now, he's not his, his birth son or he wasn't a part of his family, but in, it was common to say that if you discipled, invested, raised up somebody, you would say my son or my daughter, right? So if you discipled me, you would say, uh, Ravi, my son. So you're not my father, but spiritually you became a part of, 
uh, an influence in my life to the point where you would say, that's my, my son in, 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 in the faith. And Peter says that about uh, Mark. And so we believe that Peter, uh, who played obviously a, a, a massive role in the early church and building up the early church, uh, raised up Mark, discipled him. Okay? Uh, before we read this, I want you to make this note. And through this whole gospel series, this is important for you to understand. Mark was not an eyewitness to Jesus, okay? Mark did not run with Jesus and see these things firsthand. Peter was an eyewitness to Jesus. Mark worked for Peter as a scribe, which means he would write down his sermons. He would write down uh, things that he said that he thought were worthy. He'd write down maybe the schedule of the day. I don't know all the things that a scribe would do, but definitely write down the stories and the sermons that he heard from Peter. And so we don't know why Peter didn't write this himself. We don't know. We believe he could read and write, uh, but he chose to allow Mark to gather these stories and these firsthand accounts of Jesus and compile them into the Gospel of Mark. So instead of the Gospel of Peter, Mark wrote these things down and gave us the Gospel of Mark. They are Peter's firsthand account of Jesus. And by the way, we know that to be true. There are some uh, first century, second century uh, bishops and scholars who wrote that down. Uh, a man named Clement, uh, a man named Papias, Bishop Papias. Uh, Papias, I'm, Pappy is probably is how you say it, but Papias sounds more fun, all right? Um, he wrote that down and said, hey, this was Peter's account that Mark wrote down. Okay, so that's how we know it. All right, so open your Bibles, Mark chapter 1. Let's look at verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This may seem like a normal intro to you, except when you read most of the other books of the Bible, there are four or five verses of greetings to you. We, I, I come to you writing to the, you know, there's, there's these almost formal kind of hellos. And if you write a letter, handwrite a letter to someone, there's probably some, at least some things you're going to say up top that come along with writing a letter. Again, Mark doesn't waste any time. He's not in the business of trying to impress us with all these formalities. He says, this is why I'm writing this. One sentence, the beginning of the gospel, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? He literally answers it in the first sentence. Jesus is the son of God. So if you have any doubt about who I'm writing about, he's the son of God. And that's great for us, right? If you have any doubt about what we're doing here in the gospel of Mark, we are declaring Jesus is the son of God. That's a pretty great way to start a series, right? And Mark does that for us in verse one. Verse two. Uh, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face. I love the way he says that, before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. What's happening here in verse two and three? Here's what Mark is saying. If you know the Old Testament at all, right, there were these prophets who, who predicted and declared these things to be true about what was coming. And one of the things that both Isaiah and then later Malachi uh, tell us is there will be a messenger. In fact, if in your Bible, if you write in your Bible like me, I love to, to underline the word messenger because that's a key part of this first chapter. And so it says, behold, I send my messenger. And he's, Mark is immediately quoting the prophecies from hundreds of years earlier. Hey, Isaiah told you, you've read this, right? You've read this, you've heard this, but I'm telling you again, there is a messenger coming who is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. So I'm not speaking of the Messiah right now. I'm speaking of the one who prepares the way for the Messiah. 
Okay, and Isaiah and Malachi told us that. Mark references that. So I want you to put your finger right there or your, your, your marker, and I want you to turn just about eight to nine pages to your left, maybe a little more, Matthew chapter 11, because this is what I want to do. I don't want you to take my word for this. Uh, we are reading the scriptures together. So what does Jesus say about this messenger? By the way, I love the way in the Gospels, the Old Testament and the New Testament are connected. It's one of the things Matt Davis does with our students. He says, hey, you don't have these just random stories and then Jesus. It's this beautiful narrative that has this arc to it. All of these things are, are connected and tied in. Let me show you. And the Gospels do that all the time. They say, hey, remember the prophets hundreds of years earlier? They told you about this. And what Jesus does in Matthew 11, starting in verse 7, I'll give you a second to find that. But Matthew 11, verse 7. This is Jesus speaking. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. So stop right there. He's talking about John. He, the scriptures tell us. In case you're confused, he's talking about John the Baptist, okay? And then verse 10, he says, This is he, jump down to verse 10. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Jesus himself is now quoting Isaiah the prophet, Malachi the prophet. Hey, remember when they told you this? Uh, there will be a messenger. Truly, verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Can you imagine Jesus himself saying that about you? Or about me. That's a big deal, right? Why is Jesus saying this? Number one, he's saying, the prophets told us there would be one, the messenger who would prepare the way. He is John the Baptist. Secondly, no one that has been born of a woman is greater than he. Why? Because he was perfect? No. Because he was somehow the Messiah? You know, no. Because he was part God? Absolutely not. The, the reason that Jesus says, hey, no one's greater than him is because of the importance and the significance of the role of the messenger, right? We see it all through scripture. There will be one who comes to prepare the way of the Lord. And Jesus says, no one's greater that's been born of a woman uh, than John the Baptist because of the role that he plays as the messenger, okay? Those are Jesus' words himself. So if you held your spot, flip back to Mark chapter 1. And so now that we're clear, so when we, we read this in verse 2 and 3, who's the messenger? It's John the Baptist. Jesus told us that. So let's dive into this a little bit. Um, who is John the Baptist? Well, we just heard, but let me, let me say it like this. Uh, John the Baptist was the forerunner to the Messiah. He's the one that came before the Messiah. His mission was to personally prepare the world for Christ's arrival. So if you're jotting down anything, that's what you need to know about John the Baptist. His number one and sole mission was to prepare the world for Christ's arrival. Okay, and so uh, let's jump into uh, verse 4. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness. By the way, I love Mark. He doesn't even give us any back history. He just says, the prophets told us, boom, here we go. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Very clearly, you need to know this was not just a ceremonial act. This was not something they were used to doing. They did not uh, tend to uh, roam off to the wilderness, encounter some strange figure who would dunk them in the River Jordan. That's not a normal part of their uh, existence. And so John is saying, well, why am I doing this? It's so that you can repent of your sins and understand that you will be forgiven. 
The Messiah had not yet come. So how is he baptizing? He's saying, I am baptizing you. Confess your sins out loud. State your need for a Savior because he is coming. It was part of his preparation for the Messiah. Powerful, right? Uh, let's, let's keep cruising. By the way, Jesus shows up in verse 9 and says, I want to be baptized. And we see Jesus' baptism. Why does he do that? That's not my sermon. That's Curtis next week. All right. I'm going to put that on him because I want to know. I'm reading that like what? It's, it wasn't for the forgiveness of sins, right? He, he, he lived a perfect life. Why is Jesus stepping in and saying, hey, baptize me? John's saying, I'm not even worthy to untie your shoes, but I will baptize you. And he's baptized. And then the spirit of God comes down like a dove. What's happening there? Again, we'll ask Curtis next week. All right. It's going to be good. Uh, that's going to be verse nine. But I'm, I'm, I'm with verse one through eight. Uh, Hey, find verse 5. Let's, let's go there together. Verse 5. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. This is just, it's meaningful because of this. All right. So again, if you look at our context, Houston, Texas, millions of people, uh, I would guess a huge part of that live closer to uh, The closer to downtown you get, more concentrated. Now, Houston spreads out. John was... 50, 60 miles outside of our city. So if he was in our context, he'd be way out in the middle of nowhere. And the city would actually be coming to him, right? They were moved and stirred, heard about this man preaching this, uh, hey, you can be forgiven. That the, 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 the darkness in you can actually be washed away. And people were so curious about that. They walked all the way out to him. And that's what we see right there. All of Judea, all of Jerusalem, they walked out uh, to uh, him in the middle of, of nowhere. And he said, confess your sins and be baptized. And so that is, uh, that's verse 5. Verse 6 is such a fascinating verse. Let's read this. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Now on first glance, you're like, the guy's just weird. All right. He just dresses weird. He eats weird. He's just a strange dude. He's baptizing people in the river. But there are, there, there are some, uh, there's some things in the Bible that give us a little more insight to this. And one of the things I found fascinating that in 2 Kings, which is early on in the scriptures, right, 2 Kings chapter 1 is telling us about this prophet Elijah. And literally, this is in your Bible, all right? This, this, is, this is not me quoting this. The Bible says, Elijah was a hairy man, all right? So not a lot of amens after that verse. It's like, what, what do we, do we need to know that? Elijah was a hairy man and he wore a leather belt around his waist. And so this description of John, I don't believe is completely random. We don't get a lot of explanation for this, but we see, and I'm going to tell you some other connections from John to the prophet Elijah. And uh, we see this in 2 Kings. Hey, Elijah was just hairy. All right. He wore this leather belt. Thank you for the information, 2 Kings. And we believe John, John saw that and went, hey, if that was good enough for him, I'm going to do that. And the way that he, he saw fit was to just wrap himself with camel hair, all right? It's not a, you know, I don't know much about camel hair, but it's not a, a common uh, fabric, all right? So this was, not, this was not comfortable. He just thought that's the only way I can connect to Elijah and what we see uh, in the Old Testament. Also, the locusts and the honey. Dude, you're so weird. What are you doing? Why don't you have a normal meal? Well, he's in the middle of the wilderness, first of all. Locusts would have been everywhere. I don't know if he had access to food and he just uh, chose not to, but locusts would have been easy to grab. And, uh, and honey, right? You hear the land of milk and honey. Have you heard that before in the Bible? You're like, what's that? What's that mean? No, literally, there's honey, like everywhere. 
And so under rocks, around trees, you would have access to honey. So he was at least smart enough to mix these locusts with honey. By the way, I did like, I wondered, like, could I order like a thing of locusts? I found this on Etsy this week. Like you can order black locusts and uh, it, it does say at the top, these are organic locusts. I only go for the best. All right. <laughs> organic locusts. And, and I loved it. Because I was like, maybe I could order these and like we, I could use this as a, this, this is free shipping from Serbia, all right? So that's a, that's a great deal. Appreciate that. Uh, so he ate black locusts. He ate honey. He had this extremely strange wardrobe. John the Baptist was his own man. He was unique. We're going to say this in a minute, but he was, he was set apart, uh, no question. Uh, let's, let's keep cruising. Verse uh, 8, sorry, verse 7. This is what he preached. He preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Pretty clear. One one of the things you'll see about John the Baptist, he does not point to himself. He says, look, there is a Messiah coming. I'm not even worthy to help him untie his shoes. I'm not the Messiah. We see that over and over again. Verse 8. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again, very straightforward. I've got access to this river, but the Messiah that comes is going to baptize you, and he's going to leave with you a helper, a comforter, an empowerment through the Holy Spirit that I cannot give you. And so I am preparing the way, but the the one who comes is going to grant you the Holy Spirit. Your salvation, your baptism in him will will be accompanied with the Holy Spirit, Uh, and that's way more powerful than this Jordan River, okay? Uh, what else do we know about John the Baptist? This is the best picture I could find of what I think he looked like. I mean, probably had the beard, probably. Uh, I don't know if you, if you saw the, the, the Jesus uh, miniseries that was on. Not the Jesus, what am I saying? The Bible miniseries that was on maybe two years ago. But John the Baptist actually had dreads. That was probably like more accurate. But he's got the camel's hair. And so here's what we know about John the Baptist. We, we have glimpses of him many, uh, in many places in the scripture. One, his birth was miraculous, right? You've heard this. His parents were not supposed to be ha- having children. Way too old. Miracle, right? A miraculous birth. Two, scriptures actually tell us that as a infant, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you catching that? I don't know what your kids were like. Mine definitely were not filled with the Holy Spirit, all right? (laughs) Sinful in nature, these kids. By the grace of God, they're saved. But this is crazy, right? So this baby, this infant, is filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't read that in the Scriptures. Show me somebody else. That's just not a... You're not going to read that about somebody else. That's amazing. Uh, He is the predicted Elijah. What do I mean by that? Remember, I've told you this Old Testament prophet. There's a connection here. And what happens, what we see in Matthew 17 is there had been this, all this talk about, hey, there's another, there's another a prophet, another messenger coming. And the disciples are saying, hey, wait a second, Jesus, you told us there was somebody else coming. You told us there was going to be this, this next Elijah, this, this other prophet. And so what's the deal? And Jesus in, in Matthew uh, 17 says, hey, you missed it. It was John the Baptist. He is that predicted Elijah. He is that prophet that is to prepare the way. He is that messenger. We see that uh, through Jesus in Matthew 17. John chapter 1, 
he says, uh, I am not the light. I came to uh, witness about the light. So we see he was not pretending to be the light of the world. He was pointing to the light of the world. Uh, in Mark chapter 1, which we are in, and in several other places, we see that large crowds gathered. This was not a few dozen people, thousands of people who were traveling out to here uh, and to be a part of, of John's uh, a ministry and a ministry that would eventually point to Jesus' ministry. And we see that in John chapter 3. That's important to note. He did not gather these thousands of people and then continue to teach them and raise them up and be their main source of discipleship. When Jesus showed up on the scene in John 3, he's like, you guys need to get out of here. You need to quit following me and you need to follow Jesus. He is the Messiah. So my job was to just say, hey, you need to make sure you understand who the Messiah is. My job here is complete. He's the Messiah. Go. We see that in John chapter 3. And then, of course, in Matthew 14, uh, many of you know he was arrested and he was beheaded. He was killed in prison. John the Baptist is a huge figure, obviously, in the scriptures. And there are three things. We're almost done. Three things I want you to hear this morning. Number one, again, if you're writing notes, I'd love for you to write this down and dwell on this later. Number one, John was a signpost. John was a signpost. What do I mean by John was a signpost? Well, hey, I love, we love this property. Like the church was able to buy this property uh, earlier in the year and try to transform this crazy weird property into a church. And it's beautiful and it's got all these buildings and none of them seem to go together. And I just love it. I love the weirdness of this place. I love the beauty of this place. I love being on this property. I love being here with you. I love to invite my neighbors. I love to invite uh, the dude that I talked with in Starbucks this week. Hey, come to my church. We meet at that old property. I love it. Here's the deal about this property. There aren't a lot of signs, right? So when you get on this property and you're like, hey, where do I go? Even the guy who delivered Chinese food to us this week, we're like, well, we're in the building. It's got the Spanish tile ruse. I don't know what to tell you. There's not a great sign, right? So we're working on this. So I've, we've ordered some signs that say, hey, you go this way, and students, you're going to be meeting here, and you know all this, so you show up, you know where to go. A signpost points you somewhere, right? A signpost says this way. And so John's life, he was a signpost, right? His life, without question, pointed one way, and it just said, my life is here to point you to Jesus. The only thing I know to do with that is just to say, what does my life point towards, right? So if you, were to, if you know me, if you were to be around me, or if you were to just line up all the, the, the Twitter posts that I've, you know, that I've tweeted over five or six years, what's my life, what does my life point to? I hope it points to Jesus, but I'm probably pointing some other places too that really are just not that important, right? John was a signpost. He pointed to Jesus, and for you and I this morning, we just go, hey, where are we pointed? Where does our life point? By the grace of God, I want to just say, I point you to Jesus. I point you to Jesus. I, I'm not your Savior. You are not my Savior. Together, let's just say, hey, we, we're going to point to Jesus. Secondly, John was set apart. John was set apart. So not only did he have this crazy wardrobe, not only did he have this crazy diet, uh, he was set apart. He was this, uh, uh, this prophetic messenger. But also there was just something about John. When he spoke, when people were around him, they, tend, they, they confessed their sins and they chose to follow Jesus. In fact, a lot of these early uh, 
the, the early, really, disciples of John who became uh, disciples of Jesus, they began to follow the Messiah. They, they helped form the early church. So, you know, the, our faith is connected to these. They came to faith in Jesus through the ministry of John, and they helped form the early church, right? John was set apart. So I don't recommend his diet to you, honestly. It sounds terrible. The honey part, maybe. The locust part, maybe, maybe not. But the wardrobe, he's a weird guy. Here's what I recommend, though. For my own life and yours, are we set apart in any way? And so when I encounter that young man in Starbucks, who's really good at his job, he gets us through that line, and I see him every morning. I go there five days a week. This is confession time, all right? I spend a lot of money at Starbucks. Does he have, is there anything in him that just goes, that guy seems set apart. He just seems different. I would like to know, like, what brings him a sense of peace and joy? I don't always get that right. A lot of times I'm in a hurry. I'm frustrated. The lady in front of me orders 12 drinks. Really, 12 drinks? Where, where are you going with all those drinks? Seriously, I just want to get my Americano. But when I'm encountering this, this young man or with my family or with your neighbors in your life, the, the question is this, are you and I set apart? It does not mean we set apart, we become secluded, we become, we just like, hey, we're scared of the society. It's just, by the way, society is nuts, right? So we're just going to run. We're going to huddle over here in the corner. No, not set apart as in we're going to run and hide. Just set apart that we are light in the darkness. We are salt uh, in a bland world. And so the question is, as John was set apart, are you and I set apart? Are we pointing to something? Are we signposts? Are we set apart? Thirdly, John is this. He's filled with the Spirit. Here's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. You and I have the same opportunity to be filled, led, empowered, and comforted. God knows you and I need some comfort, right? We have that same opportunity. This is not a Bible story out of the gospel of Mark. We go, man, that's cool. That guy seems like an interesting guy, and I imagine the Spirit of God did powerful things through him. That is true, but here's what is is even truer today is that you and I have the same opportunity for the Spirit of God to live and to reign and to live within us. That's just, if I'm reading this Bible right, it's just the truth. My question for you is, what are you pointing towards? How are you and I set apart? And honestly, when we just stop and think for a minute, do we live lives empowered by the Holy Spirit or do I live lives empowered by the small amount of talent I have and the, the small amount of wit that I have and, and my understanding of certain things? And do I live my life leaning on that or am I going to say yes? Because here is the reality. Hear me clearly. I'm, I'm done here in like two minutes. The, the question is simple. We either say yes, I want to live a life following Jesus, which means I will be empowered by the Spirit or, or no. And maybe it's out of fear. Maybe it's out of, you've had this encounter with religion or I don't know what your no is. I had a no for a long time. I don't know what your no is. But it either, it really is a yes or a no. So as we look in John's life, we go, am I gonna say yes? Am I gonna say no? My hope is that this morning, you're able to lay aside the no. And here's what I want you to see quickly. 
So what's the big deal with the Holy Spirit? As we read this, we go, great, sounds great. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to follow Jesus. But what does that actually mean? Well, let, let's let the Bible tell us. And so Pastor Curtis compiled this list a while back, and I, thought, I found it incredibly useful because sometimes I forget, right? We say the Spirit of God out loud all the time. Well, what, what does the Bible actually say about the Spirit of God? I don't expect you to write all this down. If you do, that's fantastic. But I want us to quickly just go through this so we know what we're talking about here. The benefits of the Holy Spirit... Uh, as, as the scriptures tell us, guides us into the truth. That's John 16. Reminds us of Jesus' teaching. That's John 14. Helps us pray. Romans 8. Gives us good character. Galatians 5. Causes us to abound in hope. We are a people of hope. By the way, you are a people of hope, not a people of despair. Right? Whoever is elected president, you are a people of hope. It's just the truth. I'm not bringing politics to you this morning. I'm bringing uh, the gospel to you. You are people of hope. Why? We see that through the Spirit of God in Romans 15. Sealed in Christ by the Spirit of God, that's Ephesians 1. Brings about new birth. We are reborn, that's John chapter 3. Causes us to relate to God as, as Father. Did you sing those words earlier? Where do we get that? We didn't make that up here. It, trans, uh, it transforms us from the glory uh, from glory to glory, that 2 Corinthians makes us competent ministers of the gospel. 2 Corinthians, by the way, if you were here about a month ago, we said this. Gospels of the minister are not just those who work at the church. In fact, that's the opposite of what the Bible tells us. You are a gospel of the, of the ministry of Jesus. If you're a teacher, if you're a mother, businesswoman, businessman, a mechanic, plumber, whatever it is that you do, you have encounters with people where you can minister to them. You are a, a minister of the gospel. I'm not making that up. Second Corinthians says that through the power of the Spirit. Provides and empowers our spiritual gifts. Again, if you were with us, I, I encourage you to podcast this because this can get confusing. What are spiritual gifts? The Spirit makes uh, himself known through you in really amazing, unique ways. And how do we know that? Uh, we found that in First Corinthians 12, a passage that you and I studied together. Gives joy even in suffering, 1 Thessalonians 1. Some of, you, some of you know about this, and it's up close right now. So good friends of mine, they just lost a child. They lost an 18-year-old boy like that. He wasn't sick. He died in three days. You don't get out of bed from that on your own strength, and you definitely don't say, I have joy. Only through the Spirit of God would you say, in my suffering, in my tears, the Spirit of God is the only source of joy and comfort. We find that in 1 Thessalonians. Many of you experience that. It's up close today. It sets us free from the law of sin and death. That's Romans 8. reveals the mystery of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 2 strengthens us with the power of God. Ephesians 3. It's yes or no. It just is. And it's not to me. It's just when we read this gospel, and we're going to be in the gospel of Mark for about four months. And we have all these encounters with Jesus Mark, through Peter's account of Jesus, at the end of it, we just have to say, yay or nay, right? My hope is that Bayou City Fellowship, as a church, with Pastor Curtis, with Pastor Derek, with all your, your, your pastors, together we go, we say yes to Jesus, which means we say yes to the power of the Spirit of God. And so personally, I'm taking 30 seconds and I'm asking you, has it been a no for a while? We're going to have people that are going to stand here. They're part of our prayer team. They don't have life figured out 
except that they have chosen to follow Jesus and are trying to walk with him, and they want to pray with you. And so this morning, if you've been a no, I would just invite you to come and say, I've said no for a long time, and when I'm seeing this in the scriptures, I want to say yes to walking with Jesus. I am a sinner. I need you. I want to confess my sin, and I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit to know and to love the Lord. And so if you want your no to be yes this morning, come up and ask for prayer. Also, if you got sickness in your family, you got financial struggles, it can be small, it can be massive. Trust me, we've all had both, right? Come ask for prayer. We say always, this is a, a Jesus actually said, I want my house to be a house of prayer. Let's pray together, and then I'm going to invite you to come and seek prayer with our prayer team. Prayer team, you guys come now. God, we do not seek the wisdom of man. There's nothing we have to offer each other uh, that is life-changing except you. So we don't, we don't start this series in the Gospel of Mark expecting to share with each other just our own ideas and thoughts about you. Through the scriptures, God, we want to experience the power of knowing and following you. The peace that comes with knowing you're, you will not desert us. The joy that comes even in pain that comes from having the Spirit uh, be our comfort. Together as a church, God, we pray that our no's would become yeses in response to following you. We see that in John the Baptist. We want our lives to point to you, not to all the craziness around us. And so we pray together, we sing together, and we seek prayer together with brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's sing together and let's pray together. Stand with us.